getting the minimum serves fruits and vegetables and the carbohydrate and their protein and their fluid, you know, their recovery, you know, it's it's a challenge. Having over and above the requirements is might be beneficial, it, it, it probably is. But how about we just aim for getting, you know, getting 100% first? Hello and welcome to the Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Steph Gaskell. And I'm Alan McCubbin. We are both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. Each week, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists and triathletes ask. And this is the stuff that you might talk about in your training session or it might be in your recovery session after. So we'll break it down and invite a guest expert um, or coach even um, for the part A section and then we'll have a part B which will um, invite an athlete to add their perspective on that particular question. So today it's episode 38A, How Can Fruit and Veggies Make Me Faster?, we're lucky enough to be joined by Andrea Brackus, uh, who comes from, well, who's living in and working in New Zealand now. Uh, so we cover her PhD journey, looking at endurance training and what this um, did to athletes over a, a long period of time and how you can support that high level athletic training but negate the oxidative stress through perhaps fruit and veggies um, or supplements. So that's what she was interested in and um, did her PhD um, in. She explains in this episode what non-nutritive components of food are and why they may be important. And she goes on to explain the differences between antioxidants, polyphenols, flavonoids and other components of food that are commonly found in fruit and vegetables. She also explains whether athletes should actually just try and eat more fruit and veg um, compared to non-athletes and whether that would be beneficial to performance. And we also discuss um, different types of um, fruit and vegetable supplements such as green powders, New Zealand blackcurrant, tart cherry, cherry juice. Um, which are really um, common and, and you'll see in the media. But before we get stuck into it, um, let's check in with you, Al. How, how are you going? It looks like you may not have had much sleep lately. No, it's been an incredibly busy few days, Steph, for dishing off a few things for Sports Dietitians Australia, um, some stuff I've been doing with them, um, getting ready for this five-hour running study. We've been talking about it for about 12 months on this podcast trying to recruit <laughs> yeah. people. Uh, yes. But we have some into the lab tomorrow, um, including yourself, Steph, going to be running the five hours uh, yes. and then running around um, doing kids stuff and so on in the freezing cold. It is oh, so bloody, bloody cold, cold in Melbourne at the moment. Um, well, we talked about the cold last week on the podcast, didn't we? And we said it was all relative. It hasn't got above yes. 13 degrees Celsius here for probably almost a week, day or night. But um, yeah. yeah, I guess compared to other parts of the world, that's probably fairly mild in reality. Mm, mm, that's true that's true yeah so don't don't feel sorry for us at all no 
No. <laughs> and how have you been going, Steph? You feel like you're ready yep. for running five hours in the lab tomorrow? I feel carb-loaded, Alan. <laughs> um, social media, I have posted uh, a little bit of the carbs that I was having to ingest today. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've, um, I'm ready. I'm ready to get rid of the bloody um, urine containers and, <laughs> and all of that jazz. Mm. So just for, just for the listeners, so we, you, you collect all your urine for the three days before the run, um, mm. then during and then the 24 hours after the run because we're looking at trying to standardise the amount of salt that's coming into and out of the body in the three days before mm. and then looking at what happens to the way your kidneys handle sodium um, after the run, whether you've taken you know, complete salt replacement or not during that five hours of running and obviously losing a whole bunch through sweat. So the bit beforehand is about controlling the study and the bit after is actually seeing what your kidneys are going to do. Yeah, after. Yeah, that's what I tell myself when I get annoyed at it. <laughs> <laughs> for science, Steph, for science. Yeah, for science, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Social media shout-outs and questions, Our we... um. Don't have too much because we had a fair bit last week. Mm. Yeah, pretty pretty slim pickings this week actually on social media. But to be fair, that's because both of us have been so busy we haven't really had a chance to post very much. Um, mm. Obviously, we had that couple of um, week break while we had our guest last week. Sarah Gigante was uh, a bit unwell. Yeah. And then we um, did her recording at the last minute and actually got that episode out a day late as well. Uh, mm. And then the socials came out at an odd time compared to normal as well. So I think that's why we haven't really heard much from people. Mm. Uh, but I hope everyone enjoyed last week's episode with Sarah talking about her move over to Europe and, and what it's like in the sort of really genuinely cold, not what we're just complaining about at the moment, <laughs> cold weather. Yeah, true. Um, and uh, did you have a lab, lab participant in? Yeah, so normally this is the segment where we find out about all the things that you've been doing and all the yeah. people you've been interacting yeah. with, Steph. And finally, no, I've got out into you. the real world and interacted with people <laughs> myself. Um, yes, no, we had one of the, the participants who's actually running alongside you tomorrow. Um, he was in to do his uh, familiarisation and, and VO2 max test last week. And, uh, yeah, he really enjoyed the pod. I mentioned that he'd be uh, running with you and that I did yeah. the podcast with you and then he's looked yeah. up the podcast and, oh, this is great. I wish I'd known about this earlier and yeah. been listening to all the sort of the back catalogue of episodes. So, yeah, it's been good. Yeah. So you can catch up on the five-hour run. Yeah. He'll be up to scratch soon. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> plenty yeah. plenty to do in five hours, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah. how about you? I mean, you probably haven't left the house too much because you've had all the, the food and the, the urine to collect over the last three days. But uh, <laughs> have you been out and about and getting any feedback? No, Al, I haven't. I've been um, stuck inside doing all that fun stuff and, um, yeah, and keeping myself inside riding and, and things as well. So I was going to say um, it was probably a good yeah. distraction from all the riding. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's been a, yeah, a lovely distraction doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, just a, a reminder to everyone that you can find us on, on social media at the long munch so please shoot us through any questions that you've got um that may be through twitter um facebook or instagram we'd love to hear from you we'll get stuck into today's episode um and 38a al yep yep so it's episode 38a today new topic how can fruit and veggies make me faster and we're joined 
by um, sports dietitian and researcher Andrea Brackus from the University of Auckland. So um, we'd never, neither of us had actually met Andrea prior to this. Mm. Um, we were recommended her when I spoke to the Australian Institute of Sport and said, well, who writes all the, because um, they have you know different, um, they have their sports supplement framework that we talked about a few episodes ago with Greg Shaw. Uh, episode mm. 34a off the top of my head um and we talked about the sports supplement framework and it's been recently revised and obviously one of the, the groups of supplements are kind of the the fruit and veggie type supplements you mentioned the before the new zealand black currant the tart cherry that sort of thing so i went back to them and said well who you know collates that information for um the sports supplement framework and they said oh andrea does it she's a researcher who's done some work in this area so had a look and, and sure enough she does so we reached out to her and um yeah it's been been really great i think we said yeah. at the end of last week's episode steph this is a topic that you and i were both very interested in but um mm. by our own admission probably wasn't an area of particular expertise for either of us yeah. in terms of all these what we call the non-nutritive components of food um, that particularly come in fruit and veggies and we'll hear about those as we go through um, but yeah so andrea is, is a senior lecturer at the university of auckland she's also worked mm. previously for the US Olympic Committee, um, so worked over in the States for a few years preparing athletes for the Olympics on behalf of the US. Um, but we'll hear where she's actually from when we get into the interview. Um, but she certainly had a background in middle distance running in her younger years, and we'll hear about that as well, um, which sort of led her down the path of sports nutrition and, and has been involved in research on what we call the non-nutritive components um, that come in fruit and vegetables and also, you know, often extracted and put into supplements and things as well. Um, and the particular one that she's uh, had most of her focus on, um, not surprisingly, living in New Zealand, is New Zealand blackcurrant. Um, and mm. that's probably one that people may have seen uh, a bit of a push for from a marketing point of view over probably the last one or two years, I think, um, mm. that's kind of one of those latest kind of it type supplements uh, around. So we'll hear a little bit about the research behind that and, and obviously some of the other ones as well. But more generally, you know, what are the benefits of fruit and veggies beyond, you know, just the general, you know, they're good for you. So we should all eat mm. them like uh, mm. our, our mums and, and grandmas told us. Um, but, you know, is there anything more to it than that from a um, exercise performance point of view that we might be benefiting from or potentially missing out on if we're not getting enough fruit and veggies in our diet? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, looking forward to it and uh, let's get stuck into it. Yeah, let's do it. Welcome to the long munch, Andrea Brackus. Nice to be here. Uh, very excited to talk about this topic. Um, certainly controversial, so yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we're looking forward to it too. Um, so just to get a bit of background about yourself, Andrea, you're a um, senior lecturer at the University of Auckland, um, but I noticed that you did your nutrition and dietetics training over here in Melbourne. So um, <laughs> how long were you in Australia and then... Do you miss us over here? <laughs> well, it's funny you you sort of saw that in my in my CV. I am actually Australian. You you can certainly hear that in my accent. Um, so yeah, essentially all my family are still in Australia. They're all around Melbourne and Melbourne suburbs. Yeah. Um, I left Australia in a long time ago. We won't say what year. <laughs> um, I came to New Zealand to to work. My plan was I would do a bit of travel and stay here for two years. And twenty years later, I'm I'm still here. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly miss my my family. You know, my sister is, they're all still in Australia. And actually, I do miss the sand, the, the Aussie sand. People told me that in Aussie, you know, when I was there, the sand is amazing. I thought, oh, well, surely, you know, beaches are beaches, isn't it? But yes. No. No, it's different. Yeah, I learned about the sand too. I recently went to Perth and um, one of my colleagues, Pascal, loves the beach and she was like, you have to go to Perth yeah. because the sand is just amazing. The sand, it's, yeah. It is amazing. It's just you don't appreciate it until you go <laughs> to other countries. And New Zealand's beaches are beautiful but they're black, sandy, um, rocky. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so I also noticed that you've worked previously with the US Olympic Committee. Um, what sports or athletes were you working with there? Uh, yep, so I just I did a two and a bit year stint in the US and yep. um, I worked in the power portfolio. So essentially they had they, they sort of clumped it was quite a good system as far as they attempted to clump like sports together. Yep. So this was the power portfolio and, and fortunately it included the big sports, you know, swimming and track and field. Mm. And and they I was sort of recruited because of my interest and background in athletics um, and they, they actually didn't have a lot of input into track and field at the time. So, you know, I spent most of my time working with track and field um, from a nutrition perspective. So, yeah, that was great and and went to the 2012 Olympic Games. Um, so, yeah, that and so that's how they structured over there, which is which is really nice and, and that was a, an, an amazing experience. Mm. And um, so you just mentioned a background in athletics. So... Um, you participated in athletics yourself? Oh, yeah. I mean, very much in the, the sort of recreational sub-elite level. I, yep. I certainly never um, competed internationally, but, yep. yeah, I, I certainly trained a lot and, and was, was very passionate about, you know, track and field for, for many, many years. So I was a middle-distance runner. Yep. Um, interestingly, when you work with athletics, it's, it's like having you, you, a sort of a requirement to have knowledge across all types of energy systems and, mm. you know, cultures and styles because they're so, it's so different. There's, you know, your middle distance and your endurance athletes and your power throws athletes and then there's, you know, um, all the jumping sports and then hurdling. It's, it's, it's an amazing sport to work mm. with from you know from that perspective um so yeah that essentially i was a middle distance runner um very very passionate about about it in my younger days mm, yep um and so our question today is in the area of fruit and vegetables um and then supplements that are that are made from them so how did you find yourself involved in this particular area of sports nutrition 
so, yeah, I mean, my PhD was quite a while ago. <laughs> and at the time, you know, there was sort of, I guess if I, if I think back, it was probably a reasonably naive thought around, you know, athletics. Uh, you know, training and, and being involved in particularly sort of endurance training and that high, that hard training and what that did to athletes over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And then I guess thinking on from that, well, how could you support athlete, that high-level athletic training but still, you know, do something to negate these sort of this oxidative stress and that's where fruit and vegetables came in so or supplements or you know and and look even back then when I first started my PhD there were the papers coming out around you know supplements and whether they were good or bad whether they interrupted our adaptations to training and you know so that was coming out you know, mm-hmm. 10, 10 years ago. Um, so it's complex, but that's essentially why I got into it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I guess just starting first of all in terms of what's in fruit and vegetables that actually make it beneficial to athletes, um, one of the most consistent messages in general nutrition advice and incorporated into almost every dietary guideline and even fad diets worldwide is to eat more and a wide variety of fruit and veggies Um, people are no doubt familiar with the vitamins minerals and potentially fiber Mm -hmm. that we get from these foods and the fact that eating more of these usually means eating less of higher fat sugar and salt containing Mm -hmm. foods but um, there's a whole range of other things in fruit and veggies that may have potential health or performance benefits and Mm -hmm. we often refer to these as the non-nutritive components of food. Um, mm-hmm. Can you describe what this actually means and perhaps some examples mm-hmm. of these components? Yeah, it's a it's a really, really good question. And it's actually quite a complex concept to, to get your head around. So mm-hmm. our, our dietetic definition of nutrients is something that's essential for, for life, you know, to, mm-hmm. to support human function. And as, as you quite rightly said, Steph, um, we, these tend to be vitamins and minerals, so vitamin C, like you said, and, you know, minerals, things like that. But there's a whole range that I, I would still consider a nutrient. They still help, they still help keep us healthy, but, but they may not be essential for life as such. Mm -hmm. And so these are the sorts of things that you might be talking about, these non-nutritive, but they kind of are nutrients. It's just our strict definition that probably Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily come into that. So if I take a food like broccoli, we all know broccoli, we know what it is. If we talk about the nutrients in broccoli, that might be vitamin C, um, you know, there's probably some B group vitamins. Um, there, there's some minor minerals. So these are the nutrients found in broccoli. And yeah, they're good for our health. Mm-hmm. But there's also other things, uh, you know, maybe we call them non nutritive, or we might call, you know, a functional food or something. So um, we know these um, glucosinolates, which are found in broccoli, as an example, which 
are not essential for human life but seem to have quite a strong, you know, protective effect against cancer, you know, how strong or the magnitude of that effect is still uncertain. But that's that's a really important nutrient, not essential for life, but it that's in broccoli, that's that's quite valuable for, for human health. And so all there's a lot of fruits and vegetables out there, and all of them have got some sort of um it is a it's a nutrient it, it's certainly supportive for health it's just not essential it's not what we would strictly consider a vitamin or a mineral so mm. yeah that's an example um so it's not necessary for human life but mm. certainly yeah very very helpful fit for human health yeah yep yep and yeah it definitely can get quite confusing um, between in all of that. Um, what about um, often we hear about, you know, antioxidants, polyphenols and yes. flavonoids. Um, can you tell us the difference between those? Yeah, it comes down to the definition. So if I think about, so if, I, if I'm sort of looking up, you know, what, what's the antioxidant content of, of fruits and vegetables, and I'm going to go and I'm going to have a look at, you know, there'll be a table or there'll be mm. some published literature or something on, you know, Dr. Google <laughs> that outlines this sort of antioxidant number and, yes. and you know, we want a high number. You, you're essentially putting a sample into a, into a system and you're testing its antioxidant ability. Yep. So that's it. An antioxidant is just, you know, it's very much a test tube um, experiment on its ability to withstand a, a, an oxidative stress. Yeah. That, that's probably the best way to describe it. And look, yep. vitamin C is really good. It always rates right up there on antioxidant ability. Yeah. Um, if we think about polyphenols, okay, well, what's the definition of a polyphenol? Well, essentially, it's anything that's kind of got that phenol ring. It's mm -hmm. this sort of a the structure where uh, the the kind of baseline structure of uh, of all polyphenols is that it has this kind of ring structure. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean anything to anybody. Great, no. <laughs> like ah, oh, yep. polyphenol. What is that? Yeah. Um, yeah, we know. But it's, yeah, okay, it's got this phenol structure. What does that mean? Well, the, the, there's just some inherent characteristics of that phenol ring, which means it does have some antioxidant abilities. So we can put products that, that are polyphenols are typically reasonable antioxidants because they've got that phenol. But they may also have a bunch of other attributes that have nothing to do with antioxidant. They're just... You, they do other things, and mm -hmm. um, so some of some of those um, actions may have other effects, maybe on recovery, on upregulating our response to training, um, immune function. So there's it's and most of those effects are probably quite separate to it acting as an antioxidant. 
Mm. So mm-hmm. your, your polyphenol definition, it's, it's about what does it look like under a microscope, essentially. Mm-hmm. Antioxidant, what does it do when it's put into a test tube? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I get confused um, and I did a PhD on it. So <laughs> it's hardly um, easy for the general, Public. you know, punter to yeah. figure it out. Mm. Yeah. But I think what's important there is that the definitions are kind of based on the chemistry of these different yeah. components and there's going to be overlap. You know, something could be a polyphenol yes. and an antioxidant, for example, um, yeah. because it meets the definition of both. Um, so when and I guess that can be confusing for, for consumers when you're talking about the way that food is marketed or supplements are marketed, you know, they'll talk about these terms like polyphenols or antioxidants or whatever. Um, almost as if they're mutually exclusive things yeah. that you get from food, um, but they're not. They're just different ways to look at potentially the same same components of food in, in a lot of cases. Yes, yeah, very, very nicely put. Yeah, and flavonoids, is that sort of yeah, what's so, the difference? Yep. So flavonoids, is, polyphenols are a massive group mm-hmm. and it includes a whole range of these types of polyphenols. Yep. Flavonoids happens to be one of those types of polyphenols. Okay. And flavonoids, it just so happens that uh, uh, flavonoids are probably the most common polyphenol and it's a one that we probably consume most of in our diet. And because of that, there's probably more research done on flavonoids than there might be done on other subtypes of polyphenols. So, so the flavonoids, I mean, I'm sort of interested in the flavonoids because, you know, the, the purple fruits and vegetables, you know, the anthocyanin, that's a type of flavonoid. So, yeah, that's one I've been, and, and wine is also, red wine is a good example at this sort of purple. Um, so, so we, I might talk about it as a polyphenol, but it might actually mm. be, yes, it's a polyphenol, Yes, it's a flavonoid. Yes, it's an anthocyanin. Mm. Yeah, so there's just different kind of structures. Yeah, and and they may have, these subtypes may have quite differing effects. And so I'm sure, you know, we'll we'll talk about it later when we're comparing Mm. something like the tart cherry versus the black currant. Mm. There may be some similarities in how they act. And there may be some subtle differences depending on the type of um, the type of polyphenols within those those foods. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And this is the interesting group. This is the one that the media absolutely love because it's the the red wine, the dark yeah. chocolate, yeah. The, you know, the berries. Yeah, yeah. And we love it too. Yeah, the I was ones that say. people love to call superfoods and then <laughs> yeah. promote. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you remember? I mean, you guys would probably be aware of the. Um, no, I haven't done a lot in the cocoa. You know, cocoa research. Yes. You know, there was that mice study with the cocoa and. You know, they sort of exercise. They did exercise, and they provided these cocoa polyphenols, and you know, and saw some interesting effects around increased, you know, um, training response in, in, you know, this additive effect of. Well, you know, I mean, you can you can imagine what the media headlines <laughs> were. Or, you know, don't worry about exercise; just eat chocolate, yeah. um, which is ridiculous. I mean, but. Needless yep. to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So I guess, yeah, today's topic is is more focused on the, the performance side of things rather yes. than the, the health aspect. Um, and sometimes people can get confused between the two. Um, there's been research and talk over the years about specific vitamins um, or antioxidants and sports performance, things like um, quercetin and I can never mm. pronounce this one that well. It's very cold, yeah. Thank you very much. Lovely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they've kind of come and gone over the years. Where, where are we at now in terms of our understanding of how some of these components of food may actually be beneficial from a performance standpoint point, rather than just looking at the health side of it? I mean, I, I probably can answer this question. I, I personally haven't done a lot of research in, um, you know, resveratrol and some of those others. So, I, you know, yep. what I can I, what I can comment in is is where do I think so, so I've done most of my sort of research and focus has been on black current and yep. that started um, uh, you know a, quite a, a long time ago. I actually started in um, yeah in my PhD days sort of looking at black current. So I can sort of make a comment on that and it's fair to say I, I also come and go on, you know, where I think and, and where the evidence is moving towards. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can probably comment on, on the two systematic reviews. I sort of like systematic reviews because you, you sort of go through and look at all the evidence that's been um, published and, and you sort of sift through all the evidence and you pull out all the data from those from the, all the research that's been published and you kind of lump it in together and you mix it all together, mm-hmm. you, you run your stats and you, and you kind of combine it all and then you come out and you say, okay, well, does, you know, does uh, flavonoids or polyphenols or blackcurrant, do, does it improve, you know, performance? So the first one we did was quite a few years ago. It was published in Sports Medicine and, and that was on flavonoids. So it was a bit of a mixed bag because we had all the um, all the we, we had a range of so we had some black current research and it had um, some other um, kind of flavonoid products that were in there. We definitely saw a improvement in performance, sport performance, you know, by having sort of flavonoids it seemed to require about sort of seven days but we couldn't make a comment on well what sort of dose Mm. um what what product or we just couldn't it couldn't actually conclude anything that was of any use to a sport dietitian that's sort of annoying me because it's like okay (laughs) this is great from a scientific publication standpoint so me being an academic it's like you know, what, what a great publication in sports medicine, which I'd always um, sort of valued that journal, and that was yeah. great. But I sort of thought, well, you know, what do we do with that? Well, nothing yeah. is the answer. <laughs> so uh, just a couple, so May in 2020, we did actually go back and redo a systematic review just focusing on New Zealand black blackcurrant, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure the results are relative for, you know, blackcurrant or, or other sorts of anthocyanin products. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we combined all the data and looked at, um, you know, the performance effects. And we did see a performance effect 
Um, it wasn't, it doesn't look like it's quite as effective as something like caffeine. As far as an ergogenic aid, I think it's fair to say caffeine is still the winner. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did see effects that were, were probably half or, or, you know, that of, of caffeine, which for something like a fruit product was, was pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Now, what I will say is that because we also looked at, I looked in my in my PhD research, I, I did a trial with um, female runners and, and we did an intervention. They either took vitamin C or black currant, you know, products or um, placebo. In my study, I didn't see, it, it was neutral. The effect of black currant was neutral. But what we did see is that in in the runners that were, training more Mm -hmm. there was a trend towards an improvement in performance in those athletes it wasn't statistically significant Mm -hmm. and we did talk about it in the in the publication but it it wasn't enough to say with any confidence that yes the effect some of black current maybe Maybe it's, it should be aimed at the higher end of those that are training and not so much mm. at, your, you know, your weekend warrior. Mm. And that's so certainly moving forward, that, that's, an, that's an area that I think sport dietitians need to kind of think about. Mm. So, yeah, so, so where am I at at the moment? Oh, I, I, I'm probably in the camp that I do think there's some potential for something like black currant to improve performance. And that could be in a in a fruit extract form, um, but it needs to be for sort of seven days or more prior to to an event. To, uh, seven days does seem to be sufficient, um, but certainly when we've done investigations acutely, we we just haven't seen anything. So caffeine mm. is one of those things you seem to be able to take, you know, mm. on the morning, and you and, and you know for for most people they'll get some sort of benefit yeah but black current it's not an acute it's it seems to be you need a you need to have sort of seven days mm. but yeah I think it's so that's where I personally sit because mm. of that evidence but there hasn't been much done that that's mm. the and so we do need unlike caffeine is it just so much evidence out there and it's all generally saying the same thing I can't have the, I, I wouldn't say or have the same confidence with a conclusion about, you know, polyphenols or fruit extracts or, or that type of thing. I just yeah. don't. Yep, yep. And that's because they can all act very differently, right, depending on what Yeah, and yeah. also, you know, again, you've got differences in, I mean, the actual anthocyanin content between mm. different products mm. and, yeah, mm. so there's, there's yep. still a lot to be done. Yeah. And um, are there specific area, you know, specific aspects, I guess, of performance or recovery from runners, cyclists and triathletes that have been more thoroughly researched? Um, yeah. So, yes, um, I, I would say in the with the with the black current, mm. the research, it was predominantly cyclists. So yep. there's a UK group that have done quite a lot in black current um they've typically used cyclists Mm. um i mean there was my study in the runners but yes 
I would say 90, 90% of the studies would have been done in cyclists. Yeah, okay. Yep, yep. Um, so, yeah, depending on the athlete group, potentially we can get different results as well. Yeah, I, yep. I, that's uh, quite a good, a good um, observation. Um, and then just thinking, I guess, now more about the fruit and vegetable intake yes. um, and performance. Yes. So if we look first at actual food sources, has there been much research to date on whether or not just eating more or even the recommended yes. amount because we know that we don't necessarily do a great job on that. Um, if we eat more fruit and veggies, yes. may that be beneficial to performance or that a lack of these in the diet might be detrimental? Yeah, I, I, this is a, it's a million dollar question. It's a million dollar <laughs> question. And I, I think you, if, if you talk to most dietitians, about, oh, well, surely just more fruits and vegetables, we can get it all from food and all the rest of it. But it's, it's about, I mean, it's fair to say, it's, the easiest answer is to say all athletes should be aiming for the recommended intake of fruits and vegetables, right? Because yeah, yeah. if we look at nutrition survey data, it's not so much an athletes, and I'm sure there's data out there on athletes. But you know the general, you know the general, um, you know, well, you know, um, weekend warrior is mm. is barely getting fifty percent of their fruit and vegetable requirements. So mm. the the safest and best messaging is well, let's get that up to a hundred percent first and foremost. Mm. Now, for some athletes, that can be a bit of a challenge if you know, their carbohydrate requirements are very, very high or, and I mean, you both know this, you're living and breathing it, I'm sure, every day. But that getting the minimum service fruits and vegetables and the carbohydrate and their protein and their fluid, you know, their recovery, you know, it's it's a challenge. So I, my, I think I would keep the messaging pretty simple and just say, yeah, maybe having over and above the requirements is, might be beneficial. It, it, it probably is. But how about we just aim for getting, you know, getting 100% first? <laughs> yeah, so it's a bit of a cop-out of an answer, Steph. But, um, yeah. but, you know, I think we've got to read the research but then also think, okay, well, what, what is, what is the, what's actually happening for athletes and let's just be pragmatic about this evidence mm -hmm. yep yep and I guess another kind of aspect might also be that eating more fruit and vegetables probably means like you said yes. eating less of something else so do you feel like any benefits here come from what's in the fruit and veggies themselves or more by so by eating less of other things yeah again million dollar question are you you're asking the hard questions um, and I sort of agree, uh, but again, it's, you know, as sports dietitians, we've just got to take it on a case-by-case -case basis, don't we? It's got to be personalised. Yep. We've got to think, okay, well, what, what are the barriers for this athlete? How do we get them up to 100 or 150% of fruit and veg intake in a way that works for them, but, but we'll, we'll be taking into account all their other sorts of requirements? So. Look, I think the easiest message is the more the better, but it's got to work. Yeah. Mm, yep, yep, yep. 
And um, do you know how well in general athletes are doing, I guess, compared to the general pop? Like um, uh, maybe not currently, but when you were doing your PhD, um, yeah. did you see that athletes were doing a good job or not as good as general pop or were there particular, like you were working with, maybe runners how well were they doing in getting their fruit and veg intake well the time that I was doing my PhD at that point my that research project was done in runners um they were to be honest that that group were probably mirroring the general population that they were probably getting 50 yep. percent. I mean that's fair to say yep. the group that yeah. from a professional standpoint I was working mostly with New Zealand rowing uh, they might have been doing a little bit better, but you know, it, even then, uh, I th- we we perhaps have a perception that you know all elite athletes eat really well, and that's mm. there uh, sometimes not. Um, so uh, my 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 sense of it, but again, this is ten years old opinion, is that. A lot of athletes are probably mirroring what's happening in the general population. Yeah, yep. but again, yes. it, it, uh, you know, maybe things have changed or since then. Mm. What's your sense, Steph? Like yeah. the athletes that you work with? Yeah, um, I would. Um, again, not looking at current sort of research, but my experience working with athletes, I would agree. I would say very similar to general pop and again it depends on each individual um yeah so um but mostly i'd never very rarely have i ever seen anyone actually reach the guidelines of recommendations and probably more so 50 potentially yeah. getting 50 percent of those recommendations mm. yeah mm. yeah and i'd be pretty similar i'd say um obviously your athletes is a pretty broad group of people yeah. you know you've mm. got the the 19 year old cyclist who's mm. just starting out domestically who maybe eats like a typical 19 year old male yeah. um, and then you've got you know maybe older athletes yeah. who uh, a bit wiser <laughs> might mm. uh, have more veggies in their diet uh, and then people on a primarily you know vegetarian or even vegan diet that maybe are getting closer to that particularly because they're relying on legumes and things as a lot of their protein sources yeah, yeah that that's that's sounds spot on yeah yeah but i think it's interesting as you said steph about you know because you're eating more veggies which sounds great it often means that you're going to be eating less of something else because you just can't fit it all in Mm. um and you know one thing that we've often discussed steph and i think we talked just last week about doing a you know future episode on this is looking at fiber because one of the issues is as you start ramping up the veggie intake the fiber intake is going to start to creep up and that you know, yeah, could become to the point where you're getting so much fibre that it's actually um, counterproductive because it's stopping you from eating enough, as you said, Andrea, protein or carbohydrate yeah. or something like that. So it, it's a bit of a juggling act. Um, but I guess, you know, those uh, athletes that are doing really big volumes of training usually have really big appetites to go with it. Not always. Sometimes it is a struggle, but, you know, often they do. And so mm. that makes it easier, I guess, to fit all of that in. Mm. All right, well, let's let's move on to the, the supplement side of things, Andrea. We've talked yeah. a little bit about it already. Um, and obviously, you've got all of these non-nutritive components as well as the, the vitamins and minerals that come from fruit and veggies and, and obviously other food sources. Um, but sometimes you can extract those 
um, either individually or synthetically, or you can just take fruit and vegetables and dehydrate them into a powder or something like that and stick it in a capsule or just have a powdered product that you make mm. up with water as a supplement. Um, on those, do you, do you know how much of those various components you can get into a supplement, like a, a dose yeah. of a supplement, and how that would compare to actually getting it from just eating the fruit and veggies itself? Like, you know, would a capsule be equivalent of eating, you know, half a day's worth of your recommended vegetable intake, or is it just a tiny amount you'd need, you know, 20 capsules or something to get there? Yeah, so uh, the green, the powders, um, they're such a witch's brew, uh, aren't they? So I'm sure there's some really good ones out there. I, I, I certainly haven't researched all of the varieties or the types or anything like that and you know we've got we do have to be careful about you know with with athletes any supplement around you know the potential for you know banned substances being in there so I probably should just mention obviously that you know fruit and vegetable you're not gonna you're not gonna kind of test positive from eating fruits and vegetables and that's something that we've got to Put at the forefront of the athlete's mind so you know i don't i don't want it to think that we can completely replace fruit and vegetables with, with a supplement so yeah but the greens powders like if i i mean again just coming back to the black currant well you know there's enough at least enough research to to be able to say okay well you know, there, there's a there's a polyphenol. You know, polyphenol. There's a there's a flavonoid subclass. There's anthocyanin. We know the anthocyanin content might be this, right? We yep. also know. Okay, well, roughly looking at the research, we probably need about I don't know. I think it's like two hundred and ten milligrams of these anthocyanins a day for 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 seven days. Do we know that for a lot of other? you know, nutrients or non-nutritive products and how much if dosing information is simply not available. So I don't know, how do you turn that information into advice for an athlete, a greens powder? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm just thinking that, like, as far as situations where these sorts of supplemental fruits and vegetables, I mean, travel or you know, tr I don't know, training camps or, you know, there might be times where, again, bringing it back to a personalised approach and what it, what might work best at what time, maybe there's a role for, you know, some kind of greens powder, but I, I really can't be specific about what type, what's the dose, how well will it you know replace fruit and veg probably not very well it's fair to say mm. but maybe it's better than nothing yeah yeah what i would say though but even in that situation as far as a powdered you know greens fruit and veg powder if i were if i did have an athlete sort of traveling or you know kind of going through a heavy training load or something and i was concerned about or, or making weight or some, some sort of situation that we think, okay, well, food intake might be limited and you know, maybe they're travelling, things like that, I'd probably be more inclined to recommend a multivitamin supplement that I knew was was pharmaceutical grade, you know, being tested, things like that, rather than a greens powder, which I just have, 
I just don't know what's in it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's sort of my my thoughts on greens powder. But I don't know. Maybe I don't know if you guys have used them or, do, you know, do you think have they been useful or, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I haven't personally. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the question and, and what sort of tweaked it in my mind is the fact that these are, I don't know about you, Steph, but I see a lot of athletes um, doing sort of paid affiliate marketing with these kind of products on mm. social media. Oh, Instagram oh. is full of these kind of products mm. and athletes endorsing them. I don't know, Steph, have you come across that as well? Yeah, def- yeah, definitely. Um, people use them, um, put them in their shakes. Um, yeah. I, there is some research being done in, in that area now in the endurance arena. So um, I think that's part of someone's PhD. So um, mm. I guess stay tuned for yeah. more info in that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I certainly, I'd certainly be prepared to moderate my views on that. Again, I'm not an expert on the greens powders, but at this point, I think they're a bit of a witch's brew, and I'd want to have more confidence yeah. about what's in it. Yeah. 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 And from your experience with the black currant side of things, and obviously that's yeah. extracted into powder form as well. Yes. Do you get a sense of how much of those yeah. nutrients or those non-nutritive components get destroyed in that sort of processing, yeah. of the, like turning it, it into a powder? Yeah, it's a good question, Alan, because. You know, when, when I'm looking at the sort of powders, uh, you know, there there's you've got the blackcurrant fruit, and then you might have a fruit extract. So it's it's sort of minimal amount of processing, but it would also have unknown quantities of anthocyanins, and then you might have a blackcurrant extract. So that's processed even further, and but that they're often um, sort of uh, standardised for anthocyanin content. So me, the scientist part of me, thinks, oh, isn't this great? These extracts are brilliant because I know what an athlete's getting. <laughs> but they're definitely more processed. And so, you know, they're off the whole range of nutrients and, and the loss from the fruit, then the, the fruit extract down to the, you know, the powdered... Um, you know, all the fruit powder and then the extract. There's definite losses of something. So, but I don't think there's a lot of research on, well, what, what are those losses and what effects do they have? Often we like the extracts, uh, you know, the nerdy part of us likes the extract because it gives us certainty, but, yeah, it can be a problem. Okay. And I guess the flip side to that equation is sort of how much of the original food would you have to eat to get the yeah. equivalent amount of some of these things? So if you take, again, the New Zealand blackcurrant as an example, yeah. how much blackcurrants would you have to eat to get the amount that you would usually use? I think yeah, you mentioned 210 milligrams of anthocyanins. Yeah, it is a lot. It, it, I think it ends up being something like half a kilogram a day. Yeah, yeah. Wow. so, so, so not, not a realistic amount. Yeah, okay. it kind of is an unrealistic amount. In the light of the fact that we've just said that, mo- but you know, we think athletes are probably reaching 50% of their fruit, and you know, then I, I, I that's that's I could be wrong, and I'm sure there'll be a listener who writes in and says, no, no, that's different, but but I think about half a kg would, would be a, a pretty good guesstimate. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
So it's fair to say once you're getting up to those quantities, you're almost definitely going to be yeah. struggling then to get all your carbs and your protein yes. and things mm. in on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Okay. Because the other thing about polyphenols is that they they can be quite bitter. Mm. Yeah. So so yeah. we did do a study. This I mean, just from the taste perspective, we did, we did a study in rugby players and we we wanted a food product so it was sort of like a black currant drink product and we had a placebo drink made up and so it looked like black currant you know a sort of a black currant drink and and it had the same consistency but it didn't have the black currant and we didn't tell them what they're on so and we asked them what do you think you're on do you think you're on the you know um and so some of them would say, oh, they loved the black currant. Others say, nah, too bitter, hated it. Ugh. Most of them preferred the placebo drink. <laughs> mm. um, so, you know, that's the other side of it is that they can be quite bitter. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably a good segue into the topic of tart cherry juice, actually, um, yeah. which often, you know, Montmorency or, or tart cherry juice. Um, and then there's obviously the New Zealand black currant, which you just mentioned and, and you've mm. done some research on. Uh, obviously, they come from different food sources. Yeah. Uh, and I think you mentioned before that there's probably or possibly some overlap in terms of the, the key ingredients or, or components in those that might be providing benefit, but maybe some differences. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that in terms of, you know, what tart cherry juice is and what that's supposed to do versus the yeah. black currant? Yeah, I, I um, uh, you know, I've got my colleagues, you know, sort of the, uh, American colleagues are all over tart cherry and, you know, and that's, very, you know, again, us, you know, New Zealand, we're probably more around, you know, you know black currants because they're sort of grown here. So there's definitely some country, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, you know, research kind of streams the, the tart cherry, it's, it's interesting. I haven't seen a lot of evidence around a direct performance effect, I'll be perfectly honest. So what, I, what I've seen is mostly, you know, recovery from a recovery perspective and maybe that is purely around this sort of, you know, antioxidant or could be around the polyphenol content around blood flow and things like that. That we talked about earlier with with the black currant, so so there could be that aspect, but also this sleep side of it, which I, I've, been, I've probably been a bit dismissive in the past, but but there have been a you know a number of studies that appear to have shown some benefit for for sleep from a sleep perspective, you know, with the tart cherry. Again, I'm not exactly sure. It's you know it's supposed to have maybe this sort of serotonin. Um, you know, um, mimic or, or something in it that, that potentially does that. So, yeah, I, I'm certainly not an expert on tart cherry, but I, I would say that from dietitians that I've spoken to that they might use tart cherry more from a recovery perspective and, you know, something like black currant might be more of a lead-up to performance, you know, lead-up to event or performance type. So, yeah, definitely needs to be some sort of personalised tweaking. But, yeah, I haven't certainly used tart cherry myself, but, you know, quite a few of the dietitians in the, in the US were using uh, tart cherry and more from a recovery perspective and seemed to at least anecdotally report some good things. 
And is there anything specific about recovery that they're saying it's beneficial for, whether it's, um, you know, muscle soreness or yeah. performance or some other aspect? Well, they're sort of saying more from a muscle recovery perspective. Um, but, look, again, there, there might be some benefits from an illness perspective, again, you know, which we do see with flavonoids and, you know, that sort of range. We, we do see a kind of a potential reduced rate of, you know, upper respiratory tract infection. But, yeah, from what they're saying, it's, it's kind of used in, you know, shakes and recovery drinks and things like that. So, yeah, I guess it's being used more from a muscle recovery perspective rather than, um, you know, illness, but maybe it has that. It should, it, it probably has that effect as well. Mm, yeah, we've got a, uh, another episode planned around the illness side of things. So oh, brilliant. Um, pick, it, pick it up again there and, and one also around sleep. So we'll pick that yeah, up Yeah, okay, as well. good. Yeah, okay. Well, let's talk about the New Zealand black current now, obviously one that you're more familiar with. Yes. What's the, I guess, the theoretical rationale of how that might be beneficial? Yeah, so there's, there's over, over the years, there's, there's sort of a couple of theories and, and neither... There's not one theory that's really, oh, yes, you know, it's very clear that that's a mechanism. Certainly when I was going through my PhD, we, we, we thought that it was probably the, um, the kind of blood flow or this vasodilatory effects, which kind of suggests more of a recovery, you know, product mm. rather than a performance. Um but then, you know, in recent years, there's been some evidence, at least I think it might be more in, you know, animal studies where, you know, you, you have this exercise and, and a combination of exercise and sort of polyphenol products might upregulate things like NRF2, which has a whole range of effects around anti-inflammatory upregulating anti you know antioxidant response and maybe even some sort of training you know response as well so that that really opens up the door for this interaction between exercise and polyphenols and that's what I think that study that I talked about earlier and with the cocoa you know that idea that maybe you need exercise and sort of polyphenol type products in, in combination to really get a benefit. So, yeah, that that sort of <laughs> that's a more recent theory, but we we really don't know. We honestly don't really know um, the actual mechanism. So, so I mean, that's from a performance perspective, but then. Now, you know, they're even looking at, you know, with black currant, they've found, um, you know, potentially increases in, um, you know, brain-derived neurotropic factor. So this is something that seems to improve blood flow and, um, you know, cognitive function. It does seem to be upregulated with polyphenols. So that's that introduces the, the performance angle around, you know, cognition. But then also things like MAO inhibitors. So these are things that make us feel happy and well. Um, and there's some indication that, you know, these polyphenols or black current polyphenols may interact or alter 
you know, in positive ways, these sort of feelings of not not only cognition but also sense of well-being and calm, right? So, yeah, again, is that good for performance? It Maybe it depends on the type of athlete. If you're a track and field, if you're a 100-metre sprinter, you don't want to be calm. You probably want, you know, a stimulant or, or maybe you do need to be calm. Maybe you tend to get overstimulated in competition, right? So it's, it's going to end. It's really moving towards a personalised response. So what are the, what are the actions from that, that fruit and vegetable product and then what, what is happening for that athlete? Do they need stimulation? Do they need calming? At what time do they need one versus the other? That really is, I think, where it's going to move. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think what's really interesting there too, as you were saying, is that you know, there's still a lot that we don't understand about the, yeah. the biology when you get it, when you break it down to that yeah. level. And I think sometimes the media kind of, you know, they talk about this research in, I know, cancer or something, and they sort of say, oh, you know, it's amazing how much, we just know so much about the human body. But yeah. oh, as yeah. scientists, we know that there's so much that yeah. we don't know and we don't understand. Uh, and a lot of these pathways in terms of inflammation and antioxidants yeah. and all this kind of thing, you know, a lot of it is still a black box. And so we can throw these interventions at something and try it and, and it might work, it might not work, but it doesn't necessarily mean we understand yeah. how or why it does or doesn't work. That's exactly right. And, and even, I mean, Steph is probably um, well aware of this is, you know, polyphenols, they, you know, they reach the lower gut and, you know, they interact with our gut bacteria in, in ways that, you know, that might be quite beneficial. And so maybe it's got nothing to do with anthocyanins, but maybe it's just interacting with the gut. And then the gut are releasing things that make us feel calm or, you know, well or whatever. Because there is quite a lot of research to say, at least with polyphenols, that there is definite interaction with the gut. So, you know, like, who knows? Yeah. Okay, and so I guess getting more on the, on the I guess the practical side of it now with with black currant or the New Zealand black currant products. Um, obviously, you've done some of this research. So, is there any suggestion of a performance benefit, and is it specific to certain types of performance in terms of either short, very high intensity work, very long duration, lower intensity stuff? Certain types of athletes in terms of elite versus recreational. Where's kind of our understanding yeah. of that at at the moment? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to be a little bit, I, I mean, I have to be a little bit speculative and I, I've probably sort of covered off, you know, on it a little bit, but or the, the research has really only been done on cyclists. In general, the performance effect, the performance challenge in these trials has usually been a 16-kilometre time trial, you know, and it might be following a preload or not, you know, so you know, will it will it benefit a triathlete for the full period of time? I, I may, Maybe it should do. How confident are we that a 16-kilometre time trial extrapolates to, you know, an Olympic distance triathlon? Yeah, possibly. Um, so this point I would say I would probably think endurance athletes might might benefit an elite probably more so than the worried well um, and that it probably needs a sort of more chronic, I think an acute intake maybe not so useful 
Um, that's probably about it. That that's all. And and even that alone is still, you know, we there could be another realm of research that comes out and shows you. Know, as you guys mentioned, there's been a few that have come and gone. That current might be the next one that sort of, you know, comes and goes. But yeah, at this point, I'm probably more on the yeah. I think there's something here. Exactly what it is. I I, I think we need a bit more research. No, fair enough. Uh, I think that that's still really useful for, for people. Um, just a couple of other quick ideas I want to get your thoughts on before we finish up. Yes. I guess one of the subjects that's been very controversial at times has been sort of the very high-dose antioxidant supplements, yeah. things like, you know, really high doses of vitamin C. Yes. You know, some researchers and practitioners have been really keen on this idea. Others have claimed that it might actually impair the body's ability to adapt to training yeah. and you actually may not get as much benefit from training. What are your thoughts on this and, and where we've sort of come to now? Because I know this has been going on yeah. for as long as I've been in sports nutrition. Yeah. Oh, I, I do think that the evidence, that, that study that came out right at the start with, you know, Risto and, and Mary and, and that group that, that published that really nice research. Um, there was another one as well, actually. I can't remember the author, but, you know, that, that they are 10-plus years old. And, you know, they were, they were done in mice, but they also had, I think both of them had a human component to it. Um, and it was very, it was a really well done research. And I thought it did demonstrate that these effective antioxidants, you know, your vitamin C, your vitamin E in high doses for a long period of time, you could see that they, that they would potentially dampen the training response so i i think that it's not wise for athletes to be supplementing with high dose vitamin c vitamin e for chronic periods of time fine if they have a cold or a flu you know and they want to you know have their thousand milligrams of vitamin c for one week but then come off it so Yep. I'm not against antioxidant supplements. I'm not sort of a purist around food. I, I, you know, I get it, but just don't chronically take it. I, I'm very much in the camp, and I, I believe that research was done quite well. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, cool. All right. Uh, and then the final question, are there any other kind of fruit or vegetable extracts or non-nutritive components that I guess you're seeing emerging as having potential or are sort of becoming or potentially going to be like the next big thing, so to speak. Yeah, uh, I think like we've sort of I've sort of talked very negatively about antioxidant supplements, and you know, in in that research where they did all the high dose, you know, vitamin C, vitamin E. If if we're ingesting, you know, orally ingesting, you know, a vitamin C tablet, it's going everywhere. You know, it's a systemic type supplement and so it's going to hinder or blunt some sort of responses that there is a range of supplements that you know that are coming out now that are that are supposed to be kind of targeted towards say mitochondria so so these are mitochondrial targeted antioxidants now there's a possibility that those types of product that that they do seem to get into the mitochondria and maybe don't have the same uh, kind of detrimental effects 
of antioxidants and they just get to the site of action. So we haven't seen a whole lot of of actual hard evidence to, to support that, but in theory that's a possibility. So... Uh, it's not so much fruit, that's not really a fruit and vegetable answer, but, you know, if, if I think about what's around or what's coming up or what athletes might be asking you about, it might be these sort of mitochondrial targeted products. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the jury is still out on those. Yep. Yep. No, fair enough. All right, well, I think it's time to finish off now with our bonus round. So I'm just going to hand over to Steph and she's going to find out a little bit more about you outside of fruit and veggies and antioxidants and blackcurrant. <laughs> All right, well, we're, we know we're taking up your time, so we're just going to go to three quick questions for you. Um, so first one is if you weren't working as a researcher and, and dietitian, you went down a completely different career path. What do you think you'd choose? Yeah, it's a hard one. I actually love my job, but I thought, well, if, if I didn't get into sport myself, you know, what would I have done? To be honest, I love gardening. I love creating things. I probably would have gone down the landscape architect landscape. or, you know, route. Yeah. And that I, th- I think that would have been, you know, pretty cool sort of a job. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then one of the things on your bucket list that you haven't yet done. Oh, um, oh vis- you know what? I'd love to visit Alaska. It's, it's always been yeah. on my list and, yeah. you know, yeah, I need to just commit and go um, mm. before we yeah. have any more COVID lockdowns. <laughs> it is a beautiful place. I was lucky enough to visit, so um, do it. No. Um, and New Zealand, as we know, is the home of extreme sports, perhaps more in the um, South Island, I believe. But um, there's bungee jumping and the like, like I think in Queenstown, yeah. you know, you've got, what, the second or third highest drop. Um, have you had a go at any of these? No, I'm not an extreme athlete <laughs> at all. I, I, am, I am the epitome of the academic. I'm in my office, like, in and out train. Nah, none of that. That's for young guys like you. <laughs> um, and then last question, do you live by any piece of advice or particular motto? Yeah, you know, I've been getting into this um, Brene Brown. You know, she, yes. she's got this um yes the netflix series and and i've sort of mm-hmm. just read one of, one of her books and i mm-hmm. I, I like it so mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. and there's one quote mm-hmm. that i kind of like from her and it's you either walk inside your story and own it or you stand mm-hmm. outside your story and hustle for your worthiness mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that is so funny. We, I was literally just talking to my partner about um, Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle oh. um, just last night, yeah. her book Untamed. Nice. Um, yeah, 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 that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, good one. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your time, Andrea. I know this is going to be very very useful for our listeners um and i know al and i have loved listening to it and learning from it so um yeah really appreciate your time because we know you're busy yeah i really appreciate you um you know the invitation it's always nice to be able to talk about your science in a 
in a sort of a way it's exciting it kind of brings it all makes it all real so it is nice to get that opportunity mm. yeah awesome yep. it's been yep. great thanks so much andrea That was awesome. Thank you so much, Andrea. Uh, I am going to handball it now to the great summariser, Alan McCow. All right. Um, yeah, so our question today was, you know, would fruit and veggies or more fruit and veggies make me faster? Uh, which is an interesting question. And, and as we said, it's probably one that neither of us had uh, a lot of specific expertise or, or background in prior to this. So it was great to get Andrea's thoughts on this as someone who's mm. been a researcher in this area. So I guess the first thing to do is think about fruit and veggies in terms of in food form before we get into the, the pills and potions and things. Uh, and we know from um, nutrient survey data that uh, you know the vast majority of people in the general population don't get anywhere near the recommended servings of fruit and veggies a day. Um, and so that's no different in recreational athletes. They're probably only getting about 50% of the national recommendations. Now, obviously, recommendations will be slightly different from one country to the next. They all have mm -hmm. slightly different dietary guidelines. They usually come to you know something pretty similar, but it's often defined or phrased in a slightly different way. So if you're not in Australia, the numbers I'm about to talk about are probably not that relevant to you necessarily. Um, so in terms of servings of, of vegetables in particular, in Australia, the, the recommendation is five servings a day. One serve is about a half a cup of cooked vegetables or one cup of salad vegetables. So if you think about that, what a metric cup looks like, uh, for most people, it's probably a similar size to their fist. Mm. And um, if you think about, you know, having, you know, two and a half of those minimum of cooked veggies or potentially five of those of salad veggies a day, um, you can quickly see that, you know, not a lot of people will get to that amount. Now, some elite athletes might just simply because of the volume of food they have to eat because their energy needs are so high and they eat so much. Um, but for most recreational athletes who then have a desk job as well, um, you know, they train in the morning, then go to work. They might train in the afternoon as well if they're two a day, you know, triathlete or something like that. But uh, probably overall, their veggie intake wouldn't be anywhere near those recommendations. In terms of fruit, it's two serves a day uh, and a serve is roughly about the size of an apple or a banana um, or equivalent, you know, it depends, you know, a couple of mandarins or, you know, a similar amount of watermelon or grapes or, or something along those lines. Um, what are we going to get from those fruit and veggies that's potentially helpful from a exercise performance point of view? Well, that's still not really 100% clear. Obviously, we get a whole bunch of vitamins and minerals from these foods. Uh, and then there's all those non-nutritive components that Andrea talked about as well. Uh, we also know that getting closer to those um, dietary guidelines and recommendations might be theoretically beneficial for uh, athletes in terms of performance, but it can also be really difficult to get there. And we talked about that not only just from a um, you know, lifestyle and, and practical perspective, but you know, when you have people that need to eat a lot, a lot of calories, a lot of carbohydrate to fuel their training and then protein from a recovery point of view, then fitting in the veggies and fruit on top of that can be potentially a real challenge. And that's where going for maybe more of the starchy vegetables may actually be beneficial in some cases because you're getting the carbs and the veggies in one package. Um, and also, you know, uh, higher carbohydrate sources of fruit. So things like apples and bananas and pears and, uh, and those kind of things rather than like your berries and those kind of things. Although you can obviously blend those into smoothies and that might be a good way to get a lot in uh, without filling you up too much. 
obviously, we, as we said, we talked about those non-nutritive components, uh, and there's a whole bunch of different ones that come in fruit and vegetables. These are things that are not technically absolutely necessary for life uh, for humans, but they are probably helpful for human health, and there's a whole branch of research in that, but that's health. We're focused on performance in this particular episode. And then, you know, we can break those down and talk about, you know, antioxidants or polyphenols or flavonoids or something like this. And these are all kind of buzz terms that people will be familiar with, but don't necessarily understand what they mean. Uh, and generally, their definitions based on the chemistry of these different compounds in the fruit and veggies. And so you can have... Um, different compounds meet the definitions for more than one of these. So something can be a polyphenol and an antioxidant or polyphenol and a flavonoid. So, um, yeah, they're, they're definitions based on the chemistry, not necessarily on individual distinct groups of, of compounds in food. And that's where I think some of the, the buzzwords and when you see them used in the media a lot can get quite confusing at times. Uh, in terms of, you know, whether um, some of the supplements that are based on these products or these compounds are beneficial or not it's still a very early area in research there's not a lot out there and it's not being done in a real systematic way that we can sort of line up all these studies sequentially and say this is where the, the benefit is or or is not um andrew mentioned the systematic review on new zealand blackcurrant as an example um and that probably i mean the main compound in that is um anthocyanins and so it's probably comparable to other food sources of anthocyanins, um, but it just happens to be black currants in this case. Um, and there did, did seem to be a performance effect, um, certainly not to the extent of something like caffeine, um, and you know, it needed to be supplemented over multiple days in a row. And I think this fits really nicely with episode 34A we had with Greg Shaw, where we talked about, you know, would I benefit from supplements? And he talked about the fact that with the exception of caffeine, because that's more like a pharmaceutical agent than it is a, a nutrient per se, um, all of those kind of nutrient-type supplements, whether it's creatine, beta-alanine, um, nitrates from beetroot juice, which is obviously another vegetable supplement, or things like the anthocyanins in New Zealand blackcurrant, all of these things are things that we get through our diet, but we may not just get enough of them to get to the optimal level where we might optimize performance in one way or another. And so for some people, they may get benefit from you know, a, a few days of it if they really don't get much of that in their diet. But if people are already getting heaps in their diet, you know, a couple of days of taking you know, New Zealand blackcurrant powder is probably not going to make much difference in the overall scheme of things because they're all already getting those anthocyanins through their normal diet anyway. So it is a bit of a, a mixed bag from that perspective. And also, I think, you know, the research historically has been looking at it as the, the pill you take or the powder you take to improve your performance tomorrow or the next day, as opposed to this is just one of the nutrients you get from food. If you had more of this nutrient on an ongoing basis, would it be beneficial? Very different way of looking at it. And possibly you find different results when you go looking in that way. Uh, she also mentioned the fact that New Zealand blackcurrant, most of the research has been in cycling or cyclists uh, in the lab. That's very common with a lot of different nutritional interventions just because it's very easy to standardise cycling exercise. Uh, Andrea's study was in runners, though, but the vast majority is in cyclists. She talked a little bit about tart cherry juice, not one that she's played around with personally, but we'll speak to next week's guest uh, a little bit about this as well. Um, there doesn't seem to be a direct performance benefit from the tart cherry juice it may be that the effect is more in the recovery phase um, around sort of blood flow or possibly helping with sleep in athletes as well 
um, but it's yeah still not not 100 clear from that point of view um, and and all of these non-nutritive components i think one of the key messages here is it's just so early days in this research that you know even if we see a beneficial effect we still don't know you know biologically why there is a beneficial effect is it just an artifact of the research design or is it a genuine benefit from these particular things so it's quite difficult there um, some of the products do taste quite bitter as well so it might not be your cup of tea from that perspective uh, but i guess as andrea said and coming back to you know what is the the best message around this it is probably that most of us would benefit from more fruit and vegetables in our diets um, and that there may be a performance benefit from doing that um, but it, again it's not 100 percent clear but just from a general health perspective that would get us closer to our day-to-day -day recommendations anyway um, and then finally you know there might be situations where getting in adequate fruit and veggies is very difficult or practically challenging or, or not safe from a food hygiene point of view if you're traveling in certain countries and you know you can't have salad veggies that are washed in the local water things like that and in some of those situations then things like your uh, fruit and veggies like your greens powders or your um, your vegetable juices or, or supplements of some sort may have some advantage there um, if you're going to be going for a period of time without much veggies in your diet. Good summary. Um, awesome. So um, to add on to this episode, we'll um, be joined by two times Olympian and middle distance runner um, and also sports dietitian actually, Lyndon Hall. Um, yep. So same question, how can fruit and veggies make me faster? Uh, episode 38B. Um, but then uh, Lyndon will give um, some of her experience uh, as, a, as an athlete and with her travels as well. Yes. And I think if there's any, any athlete out there who's going to eat enough fruit and veggies, it's an athlete who's also a dietitian. Should be. <laughs> Should be. We'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then just a reminder, um, yeah, you can listen to us on all your popular podcast platforms at the Long Munch. And um, any questions that you've got or feedback you'd like to share, please do that at the Long Munchin Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Otherwise, we will leave you and we will see you next week. Will do. See you later, everyone. <laughs>